zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies, and a date for the formal. This is Cult Transmissions. down uh welcome back to cold transmissions uh so we're down a man tonight we got clay uh missing this episode so you will be missed but we will march on without you so uh we'll start with eric here uh did you check anything out this last week um i can't say i just finished well no i didn't actually I kept watching Cobra Cobra Kai. I did fall back and watch the original Karate Kid this week. Holds up, love it. Yeah. Um, man, I didn't I actually didn't watch a whole lot this week. Really busy week. Man, I I watched some of the Cobra Kai show. Um, I actually just started <laughs> it. I woke up in the middle of the night the other night and couldn't sleep, and that's just the first thing I kind of landed on on Netflix and. Uh, I kind of was like getting into it, you know, it's got, you know, that cheesy drama that sucks in. And I compared it to like when we would jokingly watch Degrassi, but then all actually like got into it. (laughs) Yeah. Sucked in. Um, It feels like that. And even Kristen mentioned how a lot of the teenager stuff in the show kind of felt like that. I think that's what actually made me watch multiple episodes was just, (laughs) <laughs> easy drama will go the way they're gonna take it and the action's fine the fighting is the fights are kind of funny considering it's just like all these attractive people fighting but um yeah i i will admit i also wanted to go watch the original karate kid after some of the flashbacks but yeah to it. But, i did sorry continue i didn't mean to, you know. that's it i mean i don't have much anyways did you watch patrick um, I watched, I actually just finished it, uh, Transylvania 6 by uh, thousand from 1985. Man, I've always seen the cover, and I don't know why I haven't seen it, but it was yeah. awesome. I loved I it. I mean, just the cast alone, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's a who's who, basically, but yeah, I really liked it. It me, like, a lot of, like, uh, you know, like, Young Frankenstein or mm-hmm. something like that, but yeah, yeah. And that's that's about it. I started a bunch of things, but they're kind of stuff I'm diving into, so I didn't really finish it. But that's it for me. Yeah, I really like Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley's chemistry in that movie. Yeah, really like it's stuff. real quick wit, you know, kind of like again, like a like almost like a Mel Brooks movie. But it, I don't know. I was I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I blew that off for a long time too. When I finally watched it, maybe a year ago. I was pleasantly surprised for sure. I agree with that. But I uh, I watched, I don't know why, but I've been 
diving back into more contemporary stuff, just kind of testing the water, seeing if there's anyone doing anything worthwhile these days. It's pessimistic as that sounds, but uh, I, I caught one that I've been seeing a lot of hype for. I liked the idea of it, so I just, I don't know, I'll, I'll say how I felt when I'm done talking about it, but it was last year's We Summon the Darkness, and it's kind of got a little twist in it, um, but it's like three best friends, three like teenage girls start off like attending a heavy metal show, and they basically meet up with these three guys and take them to like party with them, like basically nerdy loser guys. So they get a chance to hang out with hot chicks. So they're like, heck yeah. So you end up and it's like kind of, kind of like showing you on the news clips and stuff that there's like a cult, like murders going around in that area. And it's like a small town. So they're like all weirded out about it. It turns out, you know, I don't, I'm going to spoil it for those listening that might, want to see it but the, the girls are part of the cult and it's basically this like religious sect that is having different teenagers like lure and carry out these murders of like sinners if that makes sense as like a hmm. almost like a sacrifice but they're spinning it as satanic sacrifice and they're drawing like pentagrams and making it look like it was satanic to draw the attention away from them you know so it's got some decent violence and you know somewhat funny dialogue but it's it's kind of not i mean it, it tries to play it straight it's not real very common or comedy heavy but all right i'd say like a five out of ten i mean i don't think i'll watch it again but it wasn't as bad as it could have been then i revisited an old movie that i know people love that I saw around the time it came out when I was younger and did not care for it. Um, Idle Hands from 99. Yeah. So I'd have been about 15, 16 when I, when I saw that. Obviously, there's some stupid potty humor and, and, you know, pothead humor that is a little dated and immature, but it has its place. Like, sometimes, if you're in the right mood, that stuff's kind of funny. Um so, I mean, like Friday, people love Friday. If you give that a pass, then you can't just dog all the movies. But anyway, it's it's funnier than I remember. It's got some decent effects for being 99. Like the dude that loses his head and carries it around. Like it's not near as bad at CG as I would have expected it to be. Um, I don't know if you guys remember it from when you last watched it, but it's got the Vivica A. Fox like side story. She's like the the demon hunter that's trying to track it down, you know, uh, yeah. that kind of, that part, I felt, it felt disjointed to me. Like I didn't feel like it had to be there or maybe she just didn't pull it off. I don't know, but I will say I'm a sucker for late nineties, early two thousands, Seth green, as far as, uh, can't hardly wait those. And this was like almost, it felt very much like that movie at times so maybe that's why i was kind of appreciating it more this time around but it definitely has its moments where you cringe especially a lot of the soundtrack um <laughs> rob zombie and stuff like that but uh i don't know it's very halloween so i don't regret watching it it's like it has a whole part on halloween a big halloween dance you probably remember toward the end but um kind of funny worth revisiting um, but yeah, 
that's basically all I got. So I say we don't waste much more time and dive right into the movie, which is 1986's Night of the Creeps. The Night of the Fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the Night of the Creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get in through your mouth, and you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. They are a new breed of terror. They are a different kind of horror. Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little problem. The creeps are taking over. I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Night of the Creeps. If you scream, you're dead. All right. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, this is uh, Night of the Creeps, written and directed by the great Fred Decker. Hopefully many of you know appreciate that beautiful, beautiful man. But um, it's actually his uh, directorial debut, which I didn't really know, but obviously... Think most of us know him for his writing um because come to think of it when you look he really hasn't directed a whole lot um but he also did follow this up with one of my all-time favorite films monster squad the very next year so just these two alone cemented a poor legend to me but uh he also did go on to direct uh tells from the crypt episode the thing from the grave in 1990 and then robocop 3 in 93 not the best in the franchise but you know to say you directed a robocop film is pretty cool and then um he didn't really do a whole lot more most like i said most of it was writing for the rest of his career um he all besides the movies we already named he did write another pretty good favorite of mine house from 1985 Mm -hmm. he did, if that name doesn't ring a bell, you probably remember the cover with the severed hand ringing a doorbell. Pretty iconic cover art. Um, yeah. I remember that kind of freaking me out as a kid. Old VHS days. days. Um, and he also wrote uh, the sequel of that film, House 2, the second story, was based on one of his stories. He didn't fully write the screenplay, but he gets credit for it. And he also wrote quite a few Tales from the Crypt episodes. He wrote some Star Trek Enterprise episodes, and then most recently he co-wrote The Predator in 2018 with Shane Black. So that was kind of a surprise because there's a huge gap in time where he wasn't super active, and then boom, huge franchise film. Um, that's pretty interesting. You guys have anything you want to add about Fred Decker before we dive in? Yes, says he wrote some a couple Godzilla films too, which is kind of crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, 
I probably should have mentioned that. Yeah, I don't know why I left that off, but I did see that. But yeah, that's definitely worth mentioning. So yeah, like Godzilla '85 was. I remember liking that one a lot. He wrote it, or did he direct it? He wrote it. Yeah, I think he so. According to IMDb, he only has six credits in directing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was less. I thought it was like four or five. Yeah. But yeah, he's definitely an amazing writer, but he, I mean, it's kind of a shame. He definitely can hold his own as a director. I, I wonder, it makes me think, was it like a conscious decision? Maybe he just felt like he was more equipped to be a writer. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to get him on here and ask him. <laughs> yeah, I love RoboCop three. Honestly, I that's like one I own it. So because it's like it's just out there. Like I'm think it's just really out there. Well, I mean that's Red Decker. When you think about it, it'd be weird if he did a you know straight late like a straight by the numbers RoboCop. Not that there really is one, but yeah, yeah. I would imagine him making it a little weird. Uh. So, yeah, I mean, as far as the cast goes, we have a relatively not super active Jason Lively as far as career goes. He plays our lead, Chris Romero. And then uh, Steve Marshall plays James Carpenter, J.C. Hooper. Quite the name there. We have a Jill Whitlow playing Cynthia Cronenberg. And then Tom, Mother- Tom Motherfucking Atkins as Ray Cameron. Detective Ray Cameron, that is. And then um, I'm not sure if you're noticing the pattern here. I, I'm pretty sure you are. But for those of you not really paying close attention, these names are based off pretty much horror icons. Uh, or at least horror and sci-fi. You got Ray Cameron, which would be James Cameron. So once upon a time, he directed shit like Terminator 2 and was that app. So. Uh, then we got Chris Romero, obviously George Romero. James Carpenter Hooper. Um, I'm not sure what the James stands for, but obviously that's John Carpenter and Toby Hooper and Cynthia Cronenberg, David Cronenberg. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but, you know. But uh, there was also, I didn't bring up their real names, but there's a guy that they named Detective Landis after John Landis. Sergeant Ramey after Sam Ramey. It could be Ted Ramey. Who knows? Uh <laughs> Then there's a Mr. Miner named after Steve Miner who directed Friday the 13th, 2, and 3, which I think are some of the better ones. And then he directed, yeah. uh, he directed House. So a lot of homage going on, which is kind of Decker's thing. You know, this whole movie, honestly, is a love letter to crazy, like, B-movies and classic movies, you know, uh, from, like, the days of Roger Corman, which will bring up the connection there here in a little bit. But anyway, uh, as far as synopsis goes, uh, it starts off uh, in 1959, an alien experiment crashes to Earth and infects a fraternity member. They freeze the body, but in the modern day, two geeks pledging a fraternity accidentally thaw the corpse, which proceeds to infect the campus with parasites that transform their hosts into killer zombies. Um, so, I don't know, did you guys watch the trailer, like the original trailer for this ever? Maybe not. Yeah, I didn't. Like, a lot of people, I was kind of just reading around, like, you know, just getting outside feedback of the movie. 
they really had no idea like what they're getting into with this movie. Like when you think about it, there is so much weird shit going on. So many genres covered. Um, pretty interesting because a lot of people just think it was a zombie movie based on the cover and stuff. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's literally like equally like four different genres when you think about it, or at least subgenres. But anyway, I say we just get started going through scenes here. Uh, we jump right in on a spaceship with two naked ass aliens chasing another naked ass alien down a long corridor. Uh, they're shooting lasers at him. So, I mean, he, he's the same species, but they're clearly pissed at him. Uh, and then through some subtitled alien dialogue, which is kind of funny. Uh, we learn they're after some sort of top secret experimental plans that he's carrying with him. He doesn't want them to get, but they also don't want them to leave the ship. And uh, they're willing to kill him to prevent it from leaving. So, Unfortunately, they don't succeed, and the alien manages to launch the plans into orbit via escape pod, uh, and I believe finds his demise soon after, but he was willing to sacrifice it. Uh, and take a wild guess where that fucker lands. <laughs> I used so, yeah. to, um, when I saw those aliens, um, I used to actually, as a kid, I used to always get them mixed up from uh, Fire in the Sky, actually. <laughs> Because I was yeah. like, yeah, I remember those aliens. And then I would have those, the Night of the Creeps aliens in my brain. But mm-hmm. then I, you know, then I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, no. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of funny. I mean, it. like, I don't know how we're going to bring it up uh, before this, but we had a episode of Bad Taste that was kind of lost due to technical difficulties. Um, and uh, it, it, it made me laugh because it just starts on on their ass cheeks running. And I'm just like, dude, we've watched <laughs> almost back-to-back movies with naked alien asses, like, the point of the shot. So, I don't know. It made me laugh. But they're, I mean, they're, they're creepy. They're kind of weird. Like, they, they look pretty evil. But, uh, yeah. but uh, I don't know technically if they were. I don't know. It's debatable. But, um... <clears throat> So anyway, we, we cut to Earth, which is, uh, we, we're in Sorority, Ro- Sorority Row, to be precise. It's a tongue twister. And then, uh, so it's still 1959, obviously, and we got some horned up sorority girls talking about cute boys and stuff. And all of a sudden, pebbles start hitting the upstairs window, and some Leave It to Beaver looking dude is waiting to take one of the girls on a date. And they mentioned something about her liking a cop previously or something. Kind of, you kind of just ignore it at the time. And they make a funny joke about a cop, which is kind of relevant. I wish I would have wrote it down. About basically how they don't amount to anything or something. I don't know. It's kind of funny. Uh, so they, on their date, they go to like a makeout point overlooking a city like every 50s era, you know, date scene. And right before things are getting hot and heavy, the aforementioned cop shows up and he basically tells them a dangerous mental patient broke out of a nearby asylum and they need to get home you know they don't he doesn't want them getting into trouble with that and uh so clearly him and the him and the girl are having eyes so you know that's the cop they were talking about and then the cop leaves and they right when they look up at the sky like a huge falling star is like flying over them and it crashes in the woods so of course they decide to go look for it and they find it pretty quick up the street, it seems like, in the woods. 
and the boy like finds the crash site, goes up to it, and he it shows like a canister, which obviously was the plans. The alien was hiding, and it bursts open, and like a slug flies into his mouth. Uh, so right at that same moment, it cuts to the girl who stayed behind in the car because she was scared. And the mental patient walks up with his axe, sneaks up behind her somehow, and just hacks her to bits. And then the cops come and capture him alive, ironically. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that scene, I distinctly remember watching, like, when I watched this for the first time as an adult, I don't know, I was probably 18 or 20 or something. And uh, I think it was right when it got released on DVD. It was a big deal. I did. Uh, I re- remembered seeing that scene in like fourth grade at a friend's sleepover, and being pretty freaked out by it. And I, because I distinctly remember it, thinking, "Wow, I didn't think '50s movies were this violent," you know. But uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, oh shit, that was from an '80s movie. <laughs> it was. It was scary. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, I don't know. I thought it was just really neat how it. It goes from like sci-fi, and then in color, and then it cuts to like fifties on Earth, and then like, and then we cut back to the eighties. Like I, I don't know, it's really neat. Like I was. I think that's part of the appeal of the movie because yeah. it's really convincing, uh, as far as like the fifties yeah. go and everything. It threw me for like the first time I watched it because I was like, okay, this is cool. I like the older like drive-in, you know, sci-fi movies, and then. Just like the back and forth and stuff, I thought it was actually pretty effective for once yeah, in a movie. Did it great, you know. Uh, so yeah, then it it cuts basically right to 1986. Um, I believe 27 years later is what they say. So uh, we're introduced to our lead character Chris and his disabled goofball of a friend JC, um, who basically right off the bat you find out this dude is his loyal wingman to a T. I mean, he like lies, lies to dudes to get them out of the room to, you know, help them talk to women and stuff. Um, there's, there's funny theories about that, that I was reading about that I'll bring up later <laughs> in a different scene. But um, yeah, I mean, immediately it cuts to Chris being like a sad sack about a girl. And then uh, JC does his best to support him. And then like, uh, during, Pledge Week is where Chris lays his eyes on Cynthia for the first time. Pretty pretty attractive girl. I mean, you can't blame Chris on this one at all. But if you notice, JC's not pining over any of these girls. Uh, he's just focused on helping Chris. Um, so Chris obviously realizes Cynthia's out of his league, and he decides, hey, JC, we're going to press, press, impress her, you know. She won't take us seriously if we don't. And then uh, – you soon find out right after that that Cynthia's boyfriend is the head of the Beta Epsilon frat that they want to join. Uh, and I'll say this dude, he plays the cocky, like, rich boy, like, frat bro perfectly. Like, such a good casting. Like, I, I thought I recognized him as that similar role in a lot of 80s movies, but when I looked, he's not. I was mixing him up with hmm. the dude that plays almost the same role in Revenge of the Nerds. But I Googled it and I was like, they don't look alike at all. They just play the same fucking character. Um, yeah. The Bradster. I mean, he was so good at it. I don't know. 
he was convincing. But anyway, <laughs> he, he tasks them in order to join with stealing a fucking cadaver to place on the steps of their rival frat as their initiation. And that's not even the funniest or weirdest part of that scene is, is what he asks them to do. It's the fact that Chris is so relieved that they don't have to fuck an animal. He was almost like disappointed. Did you notice that? He kept bringing it up. He was like, Oh, (laughs) so we don't have to have sex with farm animals. Like if I was Brad, I'd have been like, why are you, fucking asking me that do you want to like that's just it was very weird um i thought it was kind of funny <laughs> so anyway they uh they go to a lab or the lab and they find the frozen corpse in the top secret room and they thaw him out and it happens to be the dude from the beginning uh 27 years prior that got slugged and uh so he ends up grabbing one of them. Like he thaws out quickly and becomes animated again. And they run out scared to death, empty-handed, obviously, leave the corpse there. And then one of the poor lab workers or assistants walks in and he gets slugged. So basically these slugs fly out of the previous victim and re-incubate in the next person that they come across. Um, catch on to that pretty quickly. Um so basically, uh, I'm going to keep pushing on here. Next, we get a Detective Cameron relaxing on a beach. Our introduction to him, I thought it was a really well-done introduction. So basically, he's relaxing there, and he sees a girl that looks familiar getting out of the water, and he kind of like tilts his sunglasses down. He's watching. Then you, you, you soon realize it's his ex that got hacked up the ex at the beginning. So that nice, relaxing dream slowly, or not slowly, but quickly turns into a nightmare and he like wakes up in a cold sweat and it's really sad and dark disheveled home or apartment. I couldn't tell what it was. Uh, but right after that, he gets called in to investigate the two corpses that were found at the lab. So when he arrives, he just finds one body and it's uh, the previously frozen dude. And Cameron's pissed. He's like giving these cops a hard time. Like whites are only one body. And then you, you do see that the thought-out zombie is uh, returning to that sorority where he picked up his date 27 years earlier. And uh, Cynthia happens to live in that room now, uh, perfectly enough. And he pays her a visit to that window, and uh, his head just basically splits open right as she opens the window right before her eyes, and a bunch of those slugs just go flying out everywhere. Super awesome the best. Yeah. Yeah. They all like drip down through the like fire escape stairs or whatever you call those and like just instantly spread every direction through the courtyards and stuff to the other buildings in the school. It was really awesome. Just shows you how quickly it can all happen. And then uh, Cameron shows up to that scene and he sees the wound on the uh, dude's head where it split open and instantly starts assuming it's an axe wound and his bad memories from that night start to surface when his ex-girlfriend was murdered by an axe. So the next day, we got the frat bros blaming Chris and JC for the incident the night before, and it causes them to get brought in for police questioning. So in that interrogation is possibly one of the funniest scenes in movie history. Uh, We just get the janitor that witnessed them running out of the lab when they were trying to steal a corpse, and 
he just keeps repeating how he did, in fact, witness them run out of the lab screaming like banshees. And this dude cracks up every single time he says it. <laughs> he keeps repeating it. They run the joke into the ground, and it still makes me laugh every time because he is so delighted by his joke. Um, and they admit to breaking in, but they deny moving the actual corpse. So, obviously, Detective Cameron's all pissed off and confused trying to figure out what the hell's happening. But we cut to the coroner with his back turned to that lab worker who is dead, and he's on the slab behind him. We had a nice little nod to Michael Myers, and we got that corpse just sitting up like suddenly, like like he does. Uh, and he just up and strolls out, and I don't even think the coroner even notices. I don't think he kills him. I think he just leaves. Um, but he does unfortunately run into our favorite janitor, who uh, is still laughing and repeating the banshee joke down the hall, <laughs> probably hours later. Who knows? But uh, and then he infects him and kills him. Uh, so rest in peace, Banshee dude. Um, then uh, Cynthia tries to convince Chris and JC later on that the attacks are somehow zombie related. I mean, she fucking witnessed it and lived, so uh, they don't believe her, obviously. Uh, so then she rests her head on Chris's shoulder and JC kind of notices and takes the hint to give them some privacy. Okay, before we get further with JC's story beyond this point, there is several theories that they are like accepting this as a queer film. Like like they are like the queer community is like proudly saying this is a queer film and some people try to deny it. There is a scene where JC and Chris get into a pretty bad argument and he basically tells Chris everything I do is for you, bro. Like basically I love you and I just want you to be happy. <laughs> so people just kind of ran with that as like, well, you never see him talking to girls. Like he's literally just the ultimate wingman and, and everything for Chris. And he basically here in a minute, you find out that he, uh, he gets slugged by the worms that are coming out of the dead janitor in the bathroom right after that scene we were talking about. And uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that theory, though? I mean, I'm fine with it. I think it would be pretty cool and progressive for that time, you know, for movies and stuff. Apart There's... from Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I guess. But that's, that's what I thought of as well. Because there's a lot of movies that did that stuff subtly or not so subtly and never admit to it. So the, the queer I mean, community has to basically... I don't know. I mean, when I watch it, I mean, maybe now, knowing that now, I'll view it different. But just watching it, um, I don't know. I think he's just curious for him. I think because of his situation and stuff, that's probably like one of his only friends. And they're, you know, but I mean, I think it'd go either way. <laughs> I just but... think it's, I have no problem with them, like, taking that side story as their own and, and, and you know, deeming this a queer movie. I, I, hey, doesn't, doesn't, it's not a negative towards JC's character whatsoever. I think it's a cute little love story. So I love JC. Yeah. I think it's, I, I mean, I found it a little odd, not odd, but maybe odd that they didn't say anything about him being that way as much as he 
did act like he cared about him. Like it just seemed further than a bro would go for a bro type affection, you know, but I guess it boils down to like in a few minutes, Cynthia or Chris is walking Cynthia home and runs into the detective Cameron who has overheard their conversation and he spills the beans in a funny scene where uh, he basically says it was his ex-girlfriend who was killed, you know, 27 years before. And he fucking went out and secretly killed the dude that did it and buried him beneath the floorboards of what, of what is now the sorority house mother's living room. Uh, so then of course it cuts right to the uh, floorboards and he's like busting out of them. Really awesome scene. And he yeah. just wrecks the house mother's head with the axe. Really, really <laughs> nice scene. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that was super cool part. That I remember that scared me when I was. Yeah, um, yeah. Just to back up a little, like when uh, Cameron has like the um, nightmare of walking up to the scene of the car where his ex girlfriend was murdered. You yeah, know, yeah. before. And he's like, sees the guy standing there, you know, from behind. He has hair. And he's like, you know, freeze or whatever. And the guy turns around. That's the scariest yeah. zombie thing, like, I've seen in, a, like, just in general. Like, I hated that thing. I still hate that thing. It has eyes, first of all. Is it? Is it not the same? Isn't that, like, a premonition of the way he currently looks? And then what... And then this time, yeah, he turns around, but I think they took the eyes out. Yeah, you're right. That is, yeah, he did it. He did have just black sockets. Yeah, yeah. You're right. which is funny because he's walking around town, but um, <laughs> yeah, and he smiles or whatever. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, I think we're about to get to that. Uh, yeah, and also, um, don't forget what JC found out before he died. There's a really cool scene of you when you see the axe murderer kill that old lady uh he goes he like leaves and then it cuts to cameron getting a call that the axe murderer is on the loose and when it shows the two cops driving the beat cops they look up and they just see him walking oh, and he man. just fucking pulls the axe out right by the door and like hits the back of the car it's really creepy scene i mean they speed off and then that's when cameron helps them corner him and that's like eric said he turns around and fucking just like he basically you get that Cameron thrill me moment. And I don't think he says it right there, but he badass pulls his shotgun out and blows his head off again. He's like, I've already killed you, you son of a bitch or something. Yeah. He shoots his head off and releases the slugs everywhere. And that's when they witness it for the first time. But yeah, he does smile at him. And it's just creepy. Cause it's like, I recognize you. I killed your fucking girlfriend. <laughs> See, and that's part Even of it. I don't have eyeballs. Like you said before, like it's there's like four different genres in this. I would watch a movie about that axe murderer. Like yeah. even if he like came back, you know, it's kind of like the whole Jason thing, but he was a scary like skeleton. <laughs> yeah, he was skinny. He wasn't wasn't like Jason in that regard, but yeah, I mean it's a slasher film. Yeah, and he's just back from the dead. Detective cop movie with, you know, with Cameron. You get straight up B movie homages um, all throughout. You got the sci-fi shit at the beginning, and you know, then the the alien infestation as well. I guess could go with the sci-fi, but straight yeah. up zombies. I mean, it's it's 
quite the amalgamation of shit, but I mean, it's, yeah. it works like it, yeah. it, none of it detracts from the story. It all adds to the story. It all intertwines. Well, mm-hmm. uh, no, that's a good point. Uh, but here- Chris, like, you know, he goes back to his place and he, the next morning he's like, well, JC never has returned. Um, and like you said, JC had an encounter with the janitor that was infected and the slugs were everywhere. But um, so JC carries around a tape recorder like he just always did. He he had it out in a couple scenes before. And uh, JC had slugs in his brain and he discovered while he was in so his death seems kind of funny he's like taking a shit yeah um and he can't he's disabled so he can't walk very well yeah. but um thinking when i watched this i was like why would he why do you do that he saw the slugs running around on the floor but he like mm-hmm. found a match and lit it on fire and like put it down and the slug ran into it and died and i was yeah, like <laughs> i was like well that's cool so anyways, he leaves um, Chris a message, and it, it's really sad. Oh uh, yeah, like you were saying, they're susceptible to heat, um, as he did in the bathroom, and uh, yeah. So basically, from that point, Chris uh, believes all the shit he was hearing earlier, or that he didn't believe earlier, and he recruits Detective Cameron, who is in the midst of a suicide attempt, <laughs> uh, and uh, they very illegally, yeah, yeah they very funny. illegally retrieve a flamethrower from the fucking man dick miller yeah uh, armory it's so funny <laughs> he's just like i would like yeah he's like i'd like to uh acquire a your basic flamethrower or something like he just tries to casually get it and he's just like for what <laughs> he's like show me your papers and they're like oh yeah about that and he just fucking pulled the gun on him he points it at him like <laughs> straight in his face 
Like, don't fucking pull a gun on Dick Miller. Like, who do you think you are? That was the most angry I've got at Tom Atkins in my life. I, w- I know, I saw that episode, and I was like, damn, like, it's a little overkill on you as friend. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, that's probably the most fucked up scene in the whole movie. Uh, they <laughs> They soon... Soon after they arrive at the sorority house, as Cynthia breaks up with Brad, finally, um, who has actually just became possessed. And that was a really cool scene when they when he dies on the porch. Uh, but anyway, after killing him, the Beta uh, fraternity brothers show up, despite having been killed in a bus crash, which was another awesome scene. Um, um, yeah, the bus crash. Was, I remember the bus crash for some reason, like, I don't know. It just stuck to, in my memory of this movie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, right after that, Cynthia and Chris team up to destroy the outside zombies who are just everywhere. And uh, Detective Cameron clears out the house. Um, so shit's getting pretty real now. So they stop the horde of zombies and, and Chris spots more slugs racing toward the basement. And uh, Cynthia explains that a member of the sorority had received uh, specimen brains for biology class. And in the basement, they find an enormous pile of slugs and Detective Cameron tape across his mouth, prepping a can of glass or gasoline. I thought that was genius. Why didn't they all yeah, start putting tape on their right mouth off, much so. sooner? But yeah. Yeah. There's a really yeah, cool he's scene too badass though, for that. Cameron in, when uh, he's clearing the house. Like when he's in there and, mm-hmm. uh, he gets surrounded by zombies or whatever. And it's like a scene yeah. of, he's like spinning. Like they put him on something that spins and he's like just screaming yep. and shooting, but it's just uh, on his face, you know, it's really cool. Yeah. And that's where we get the classic line. Uh, I got good news. Your dates are here. Got bad yeah. news. They're dead. You know, that's a really pretty classic line. Obviously everyone knows the thrill me. That's said like five times in the movie, but um, yeah, that's also one of my favorite lines in the movie. Um, and it's also like kind of the scene where the, the cover of the movie comes from. Um, but yeah, he begins uh, a countdown as he's splashing gasoline and uh, Chris counts down in sync with him, I think upstairs and him and Cynthia race out of the house. And just as Cameron opens up the house's gas valve, I got some heavy, the burbs, Uh, vibes from this by the way uh several slugs leak up leap up and attack him uh kind of bummed me out but um he flicks his lighter and the house goes up in a fiery explosion and uh chris and cynthia share a kiss as they watch the house burn um even i mean chris is obviously super fucked up by everything that happened he's like still like finally got the girl i don't care i'm just gonna kiss her who gives a shit spent all this time trying um, and then Detective Cameron stumbles out all charred up like a fucking grilled hot dog. And I, I thought that was weird. Like, did they, is it implied that he was infected and that, so he's infected and yeah, he's a zombie uh, they, at that they, point? They, they kind of die, but they still are them. They're just dead for like a little bit. That's, that's what, uh, yeah. Okay. JC says I was just like, message. I was just hoping. I was actually hoping that because I was like, man, if he's alive, he's in <laughs> serious he fucking pain right now. Or something. <laughs> it was pretty badass. Yeah. 
it's just so, funny. Yeah, finish this up. Uh, I'm going to ask about that ending. So anyway, you see a bunch of slugs slithering away from the scene and into a graveyard. That's the perfect place for them to go. Um, and then you get a spaceship that hovers into frame, and it's searching for all the slugs with a spotlight. And then it pretty much goes uh, ends right there. Um, Alternate ending to what was showed on TV spots? Yes and no. From what I gathered, because I told you guys I was reading stuff um, kind of about it, just outside yeah. opinions and different different posts about the movie. I like to kind of get feedback on stuff. A lot of people said that they distinctly remember the alien spaceship ending, even on TV. But you are correct. It was the official alternate ending, but I think it ended up being used yeah. quite a bit. Anyways, like because um, it's. I remember both endings. Yes. Go oh, ahead and like, tell them what happened. The, earlier in the – it's even in the movie still. Or, earlier in the – like, I guess it's the mother, sorority mother's dog. But, like, mm-hmm. uh, you see the dog, like a close-up of the dog, and it's like a, it's dead. It has, like, a skeleton face or whatever. But it jumps into the yeah. um, crashed bus of the fraternity – but back in the day, what I yeah. remember ending is it, like, at the end, the dog, like, I don't remember, shows up and, like, spits out a slug or whatever, and it, like, slithers away. No, it actually spits it into Cynthia. Oh. From from what I gather, I think it spits it into her oh, at the very end. The of the version movie. that I have, my DVD, is the uh, dog ending, and then yeah. it shows to the uh, UFO do the thing. Yeah, so the UFO is still in there. I remember oh. the UFO, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, so what are what are your overall thoughts, Eric? We'll start with you in alphabetical order here. I love I it I still love this movie. I was laughing and you know, and I was it just it still gave me I've seen it a hundred times. But it's every scene that I love still hits me the same way every time. It's enjoyable all the way from start to finish. Mm-hmm. There's like for me, anyways. There's no like lulls in this movie at all for me. I enjoyed it through and through. And you know, and then especially being a horror fan and all the references and stuff, it's like man, this was. I felt like yeah. it was just made for people like us. <laughs> In the 80s of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick, how did you feel? Uh, I love it. It's definitely uh, a classic for for me. It doesn't even really need to be Halloween for me to watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I always forget, like, kind of how gory it is, which we need to talk about the gore. Uh, it's really good in this movie. Um, and it's mm-hmm. probably thanks to the boys in K&B who actually are some of the frat boys too. Uh, Greg Nicotero yeah. and Howard Berger. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. I don't know what this movie could do if it didn't have that gore. Because uh, it is a pretty funny and just cheesy movie, but then, you know, they throw in the pretty intense gore and I think it it kind of shocks yeah. you a little bit. I think that's what helps separate it from like the Monster Squad. Right, yeah. 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 But, could end up being very similar otherwise, you know. And then, like, 
at the <clears> end with like the stop motion type filming with like the slugs and stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I love that. I think it's just random enough that they did that. That I don't know. It's really cool. And, yeah. Now that you say the ending and how it looked like that cemetery scene with the with the spaceship flying over it at the end. That was, that totally was like a like set a piece, right? But it looked awesome, and it was a perfect homage to like the old films, like because I was like, dude, that straight up looks like you're watching some like '60s or '70s like yeah, little miniature sure. scene, you know? It, it, it didn't need to. There's no reason they couldn't have filmed a scene at a real cemetery. That was a conscious decision, clearly, and it, I thought it looked great. It, it just worked with yeah, the aesthetic of the whole movie. I remember also talking about the gore, the um. The very first, like the the body outside of the sorority house, where his head split open, <laughs> they zip him up in the body bag, and because you can hear the guys like, uh, you know, oh, stay away, girls, you don't want to see this. But when they zip him up, like the head like flaps, like the two head flaps together. <laughs> it's just real quick, but it was, I was like, mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> it's gross. Yeah, like whenever I. Detective camera zips it and looks at him. It's it's pretty gross. It looks pretty real. Pretty much what you yeah. would expect an axe wound to look like. Oh, yeah. Now that scene, I know we mentioned it, but when he is up at the window and she opens the window and it like it, it just splits open, like you right. actually see it opening. I was just like, well, I think what he was do doing that? was pushing <laughs> his head against the actual glass because she opened up. Yeah, she opened up is the that what curtains. Happened? And like he starts pushing his head against the actual glass, and it starts to open, and it is disgusting. Dude, it looked pretty awesome. <laughs> they couldn't have asked for a better take. Yeah. Like when they're they're um, killing them all at the sorority great. house, he they're like they had a pretty good plan where they're it's like, okay, you he gave the girl the flamethrower, and he's like, I'm gonna shoot this thing in the face with the shotgun, and then you burn all the <laughs> slugs, and it worked <laughs> perfect. I was like, this is an awesome plan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as as far as my thoughts go, like I I'd like to compare movies in a weird way to like comfort food. Like yeah. there's comfort movies for me, and this is like the perfect definition of that. Obviously, Monster Squad too. It's been one of my favorite movies since I was probably twelve. Little kid wanting to be in the Monster Squad. I'm probably gonna say that a billion times throughout this podcast. That's my dream. Um yeah this is like essentially even though it was made before the monster squad it feels like like those kids grew up went to college and had to deal with shit all over again like that's kind of the vibe which makes sense it's the same people but like um i think that's just why i like it so much but definitely to patrick's point it's way gorier and that does kind of differentiate them a little bit but um yeah i just love it like we discussed the genre blending i think it's done masterfully um, which has to be hard to do for any director. And the fact that Fred Decker, Decker pulled it off so well and still chose to not do much directing anymore, that's kind of kind of sad. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an absolute classic. And I think the reason it does blend so many spooky genres is why I picked it as a Halloween movie, because it just covers yeah. all the Halloween bases for me. Um, I think that's why I busted out every Halloween but it's also like horror comfort food, like I said. So that's the shit I want to watch on Halloween or October. 
the films that <laughs> make me happy and feel good, uh, but are still creepy. So the part where the like sorority girl gets at the beginning, where the cat, you know, there's a zombie cat, a zombie dog. <laughs> Yeah. But my daughter yeah. just got a new cat, and I rewound that because she walked in the room. And was like, hey, look at this cat scene! <laughs> it was a, like the the skeleton cat or whatever. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, the, the the owner of the cat, the girl, the sorority girl that owns the cat that eventually, I think the cat actually yeah. infects her. She becomes a zombie, and she's the only female zombie in the whole movie. Oh yeah, she almost got Tom Atkins. Hmm. Yeah, that she was pretty spooky. It they they look like fucking deadites when they turn into zombies. Like their oh, eyes are sunken and like almost like they're almost like whited out. They look a lot like deadites. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's yet another reason I probably love this movie. Um, but anyway, we're gonna jump into a little bit of trivia. I I think we should take one final break and then wrap things up. We are back. Thank you for making it this far into our episode. Um, so we're going to end it like we normally do with some trivia. Um, I'm sure you guys noticed, but in the bathroom scene and during JC's demise was uh, some graffiti on the wall. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, there was the striper thing, which was like one of the cast members husband was in striper or some shit. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. there was go monster squad on the wall, which is awesome because that movie wasn't even out yet. Um, so it's straight up fucking foreshadowing. Yeah. So next we, uh, we do have to acknowledge our obligatory mention of Roger Corman. I think we've lost sight of that the last few episodes, but we'll bring it back here. So the university in the film is called Corman university. So very proper for a movie that literally was inspired by almost everything Corman did. Um, and then we got some more here. Uh, Night of the Creeps wasn't the only Fred Decker script which included zombies attacking humans. This is my favorite piece of trivia, and I will explain why here in a minute. So in 1988, he and his friend, screenwriter Shane Black, who I'm sure you're all familiar with, worked together on writing a final draft of the script titled Shadow Company. It was actually the first script that Black wrote in 84, a year before he wrote his first draft of Lethal Weapon. Um, So the script was to be an action horror film about a group of U.S. Special Forces soldiers who died during Vietnam, and years later, after their bodies are brought back by members of a secret, or by members of secret army experiments, they rise up from the graves as rotting, unstoppable zombies. And, uh... The zombie soldiers would have raided the armory from a nearby army base and then proceeded to destroy the whole town in which they were buried, killing everyone in it and wiping wiping it off the ground during Christmas night. 
the movie was uh, going to be directed by John Carpenter. Yeah. And that was supposed to happen in 89. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be produced by Walter Hill, who also was uncredited for working on the script, with Kurt Russell as the lead. So that is a big wasted opportunity. We don't know the story behind it. I didn't look that far into it, but it was never made, obviously. We would fucking all love and would know about it for sure. Um, here's the funny thing. This, the script itself did uh, get a cult following by their fans and Carpenter's fans. So what's the first thing I did when I read that? I went and found the script. Um, there's a website called archive.org that has it all on there and you can scroll through and read it if you want. But I noticed an option that was like audio, like it had headphones or something on it. And I clicked on it and it fucking reads it to you. Now, obviously it's reading in the script format, like final draft or something. So some of it's kind of wonky and how it reads that back to you, you know, they don't know certain cues and stuff, but it's fucking awesome. It's like an audio book, audio book of a fucking badass unmade script. So I'm definitely going to finish that. I only read like the first two pages and then didn't want to get too deep, but highly recommend it. I mean, it's like reading a Carpenter movie that never happened. So, uh, really fascinating. I never would have thought I'd learn this by watching night of the creeps and, doing a podcast but here we are um missed out uh yeah i'm sad it didn't happen (laughs) i mean think about it shane black and john carpenter and kurt russell just those four names together yeah yeah i always use some more carp and kurt in my life but yeah would have been cool you know you know decker and black were like they watched uh, Escape from New York, and we're like, those are our guys. Like, they have to be in our fucking movie. You know, it has to be both. We don't want one or the other. Maybe that was part of it. It was a package deal, and Kurt Russell was probably, like, going to go play Elvis somewhere and lost the chance. All right, just kidding. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so the next piece of trivia is uh, in an interview on the Blu-ray itself, Tom Atkins enthusiastically states that this was his all-time favorite film that he starred in. Um, I guess that's kind of impressive, considering he's been in some doozies, you know. Um, I would have thought maybe Halloween three. What do you guys? What would you guys have expected it to be? Well, I, well, and to be fair, I have that documentary too. But I think it's just a matter of how the film was received. I mean, he says, you know, he gets his Halloween three fans and he gets his escape from New York, you know, groupies or whatever, but by far out of any of his films, this is the most like iconic for him as far as like his fans and everything. And I think he just kind of saw and realized the impact it had and I think it just it means mm-hmm. a little bit more to him, honestly, because, you know, when you think about Escape from New York, you can kind of forget that he's even in that movie because his mm-hmm. role is, you know, yeah. very minimal. But, yeah, even compared to like the fog and stuff, he said this one, I think it was just so fun for him to shoot and just go off the cuff with everything. Um, I mean, he, he is. 
at times I think it's criminal that he wasn't in it more, but on the other hand, that's why his scenes are more impactful because he's not chewing up every scene like Halloween three. Um, he's just so badass in it. Like his character is almost too cool to be in the movie more. Like it's, it would be too much to handle. <laughs> I guess that's to think about it, but um, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, I, I think one of you, if not both of you might've been at the, we went to Texas Frightmare the year, but there was a night of the creeps reunion. So we got to see Tom and Jason lively and meet them. Their chemistry was awesome. Like they were like best fucking friends there. So, I mean, that definitely is a testament to what you were saying about how beloved the film was to the fans. Cause they were, I distinctly remember that was one of the biggest attractions that year. They were one of the most popular booths for sure. Always had a big crowd around them. So he loves fucking posing for pictures. I mean, Tom was a super cool guy. Um, or yeah. still is, I'm sure. But at that time when I met him, um, yeah, I was excited to meet him. That was one of my favorite movies of the time. Anyway. So yeah, you already mentioned Nicotero and Berger, uh, from KNB being extras. So I, definitely didn't catch that when i was watching it um, i will definitely look next time and there will be many next times look for the mullets and mullets and yeah, mustache every other character and maybe maybe not maybe i, just <laughs> I noticed a couple like pretty strong mustaches oh i did have another piece it's not really trivia i guess kind of is but i forgot his name maybe steve the jock guy at the beginning that JC like tells has a phone call and he goes, yeah, with the unibrow. Yeah. He gets, he gets him to like get away from Cynthia cause he was hitting on her. Um, he's not really an impactful character in the movie beyond that, but, um, I was reading about him. I was reading about him on IMDB, just kind of looking through all the names. He died like four years after the movie at like 30 something years old got AIDS and passed away. It kind of, kind of bummed me out. It's like, man. like He looks familiar. Like, he was probably in, like, a bunch of, like, <laughs> sorority house movies. I'm sure he was probably... He was just... He seemed so buff and healthy, like a jock dude. Like, it was just shocking to hear. Like, he just withered away a few years later. It's, it's a bummer. Well, fuck you, Reagan, for not doing more about it. But, you know, it is what it is, sadly. Um, so, anyways, we... Uh, like I said, you probably noticed Clay was not here tonight, and of course it's his pick. So I have a funny thing to bring up here. I have a running joke. We're in our notes. No one sees it, obviously, but I'll put a thing like saying it's Clay's pick. You know, what are we going to watch? And just reminds him to think of a movie. So I usually will jokingly put what cartoon are we watching next, Clay, which I don't think I did on this one, ironically, but usually I do. And – this week, I was like, well, surely for our Halloween October month, it'll probably be a live-action horror movie. I was wrong. Um, so <laughs> I didn't put what cartoon are we watching because I didn't genuinely think it would be a cartoon. Um, here we are. Uh, the movie he chose, dun-dun-dun, Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. So don't get me wrong. I love that fucking movie. It's one of my favorite animes. And we jokingly, lovingly say cartoons. We know it's not a cartoon. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Do you, have you guys, has anyone not seen that movie? I have not. 
Oh, fuck yeah, dude. That's exciting. Patrick, you probably have. You you dabble in anime. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I own it. It's one of the first anime I'm fairly certain Clay probably made me watch it. Possibly Jeremy White. I was kind of surprised by the pick. I mean, I don't, I guess it, it's fucking vampire. So yeah. Halloween-y, but I think my interpretation of Halloween time is like fun, not necessarily lighthearted, but I don't usually watch a whole lot of fucking bummer movies. <laughs> yeah. and it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. fucking dead serious, but I'm not complaining. I'm going to love every second of it, but um, yeah, he's, he's definitely probably throwing a wrench in the gears of what the rest of us are going to be doing. So good to break it up. Guess that wraps things up. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, check out our social media, reach out, get in touch, tell us what you want us to watch, and maybe you'll get lucky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. We got some fun spooky surprises coming your way. <laughs> All right. All right, y'all. Bye. Goodbye. Later.